Hello and welcome to the first proper episode of Back With The Grid for 2022. It's a bit of a pre-season preview of testing and other things to come. Um, I'm your host this week, Tom, and I'm joined as always by Stu. Hello. Hi. And also Chris. Hello. Um, Yes, so we have plenty to get through, uh, surprisingly, (laughs) considering it's been a fairly quiet winter. Um, But yeah, we've got a lot of like higher up changes within teams uh, and bits of team news to go through, which Chris has very diligently compiled for us. <laughs> so a bit we'll of, go through that. A bit of team personnel musical chairs going on. Yeah. I guess probably the biggest one, which was kind of what seemed to kick you all off, was um, the fact that Otmar Safnauer has left Aston Martin after being with that team in its various guises since 2009, I think he joined. Um, obviously, Force India then, and he's been there through their racing points now, Aston Martin times. Um, there's been rumours for a while that he was going to move to Alpine, but it's been about three weeks since he left Aston Martin now, and there's still no news of where he's going to go, which of course means tomorrow they will announce he's going to Alpine because that's the way this podcast works. But um, yeah, I don't know. He feels like quite a big loss. To the team, to me, I feel like that they've always been an overachieving team, and he has felt like a big part of that to me. I mean, it'd be interesting to see how they continue now without him, and how the fortunes of any other team he does join change. Yeah, that'll be like, the test, won't it? <laughs> yeah, like that—that'll just show how big of a part of that he actually is. Yeah, but I mean, I, I feel like since he came in and. I mean, it was like kind of a basically replacing VJ to a degree, wasn't it? As like just out and out running yeah. the team um, when VJ left. So mm. uh, ever since he's come in, they've kind of gone strength to strength pretty much each season. So well, very interesting to see where they end up without him. Well, we know sort of part of the answer of that now. Um, Aston Martin have announced their new team principal as no giggling now, Mike Crack. Who is the? Is that real? That is his yeah. real name. No, Mike Crack. Yeah, someone is messing with Formula One. Mister and Mrs. Crack were like, no "Yes, here is our son. We shall name him me, Michael." Tell me about Mister Crack's resume. Uh, so he's the former head of BMW Motorsport. He oversaw um, all of the Formula E and GT programs um, at the time he was there. He also spent 10 years in F1 working for Sauber. He was Felipe Massa's race engineer for a season. Um, he worked with Vettel for a couple of years when he was um, sort of the young driver at BMW Sauber. So obviously he's going to be kind of reunited with him at the other end of his career. Um, so he's got a, he's got a pretty... Pretty decent history in motorsport. Um, I think he's a he's probably a good signing for them. Yeah, I mean, well, BMW Sauber didn't uh, didn't win the championship the year they should have won the championship, did they? Because they didn't put enough effort into winning that championship. Well, no, but I, th- I think that was more top brass at BMW decisions than uh, mm. engineers that race engineers as he would have Is... been at the time. Okay. Interesting. Does, does this mean he was involved with the infamous big M8 of Le Mans? He probably will have been. Yeah, he was. That was definitely under his tenure. So, for How those do who spell- don't know what that is, just type "big M8" meme <laughs> into the internet, and you will find the world's biggest BMW M8 chasing smaller GT cars, and it's hilarious. 
Oh, this guy. Okay. But yeah, I didn't realize. Do you know what I didn't realize until we were just start talking about it now about his previous involvement at Sauber? Yeah, so I think that's. I think basically he was at Sauber, they became BMW Sauber, and then he sort of moved to the BMW side more. And then when they sort of yeah. split away again, he stayed on that side essentially. Okay. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. Um, like I say, he seems to be a guy with a, a decent resume. Um, they're very much a team that have been making kind of big name signings. So I, you know, I doubt they'll have been getting just anybody into that team. Um, it's an interesting point in their development as a team to be changing a role that big, though, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, I mean, it feels like this whole story is just an excuse to say Mike Crack, though. So. <laughs> I, there no, no childish jokes here whatsoever. All, all serious <laughs> F1 news here. <laughs> So who's going? So so we think he's going to Alpine then. So I'm I'm more interested in I'm much more interested in what um, Otmar's going to do at Alpine than I am in yeah, what so, Matt going to do at Aston. So there have been changes at Alpine already. Um, Executive director Marcel Bukowski has left the team after being there for only a year. So he joined just after um, Cyril Beatable left, um, but he has now left the team after a year. They've also parted ways with Alan Prost, who's been there as their kind of special advisor in the same kind of role that Nicky Lauda had at Mercedes. Um, he's been there since 2016. Uh, he said, um, he, he actually said he was really disappointed in the way the news was announced so that they'd kind of agreed to do it in tandem. And then Alpine just went ahead and announced it themselves and that he'd refused an offer made to them in Abu Dhabi at the end of last season. Um, so. so- off to a great, the relationship's off to a great start then. So, yeah, so a slightly acrimonious split with Alan Prost there. They've they've lost their executive director. Um, I think at the moment I've just said like internal management will fill those roles until it happens. But yeah, things don't seem particularly happy at Alpine right now. A lot of upheaval. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's a bit of a rebuild and reshape there, isn't it? But at the minute, it feels like they've been doing that every couple of years since 2016. They've, never, it? they've not settled since probably Boulier was there. Yeah, like <laughs> that feels like the last time it was even remotely wow. settled. Like that's a beat. Oh, that's a while ago, yeah. right? Yeah, he went to McLaren and ruined the shop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like Cyril Beatsball, Yeah, he was supposed to be like the new guy in charge to like settle things down to get some consistency, and then obviously he. He um he bounced and we've had uh Bukowski for a year. Mm. Yeah. And then we've so just on the other bit of Aston Martin, let's do the other bit of Aston Martin news, then I've got a question for you both after that. So you got Dan Fallows to finally join Aston Martin? Yeah, so you may remember back in June they announced they'd signed um Dan Fallows, who was the chief engineer for aerodynamics at Red Bull. Um to be their new head of the aero department, basically. But Red Bull at the time insisted that he couldn't join until his contract had run out, which would have been like the middle of 2023, I think it would have been. But they've now finally come to an agreement. So he's joining Aston Martin as their... I think he's going to be their head of aero um, in April. So I think the, the, the compromise seems to be you can have him, but not until 
the season <laughs> has started and testing is done basically. Yeah, yeah. so he's going to be on big time gardening leave from Red Bull at this point, then, isn't he? Because I think he. I think he has cool. been since middle of last year. Yeah. Has he? Wow. Yeah. So interesting. So he he he, he will given the way how long the teams have been working on these cars, he probably will have a, a substantial knowledge of the the fundamentals of the, of the oh, you would new think Red so. Bull that's coming in. So that's actually a really, really big win for um, mm-hmm. Aston Martin. I, so my question about sort of this little run of news, these three stories is who's going to come out on top between Aston Martin and um, Alpine next season? Yeah, because they, they weren't a million miles apart last year, were they? Um, mm. It's it, it will really depend on where Aston Martin's car actually is because there were a lot of rumours circulating around that they were behind on development and then like internally they've tried to come out and yeah. sort of quash those and say that now we're perfectly fine on schedule. Like yeah, okay, okay. is Let- literally just rumors. So, I mean, if that's right, I would say Aston Martin are out on top. If that's like sort of fighting fires because they are behind, then I would say Alpine will come out on top. Okay. That That's the key thing for me because Aston Martin are way more settled with personnel now, realistically. They've they've brought yeah. in the replacements. They know where they're at. Alpine's still but, very in the air from a leadership point of view. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let me rephrase the question slightly. Given the context of the three stories that we've just spoken about, who wins out of those? Who gets the most out of their changes from between Alpine and um, Aston Martin? Because there's two big yeah. changes there. Who's making, who's making the most consequential progressive changes of those two teams i think i think this is like another in like another couple in a series of like big name signings for aston martin like yeah they they seem i think we've said it before it kind of feels like they're following the model that mclaren have been doing over the last few years of like getting these more specialized roles rather than having kind of one or two trying to lead everything from the top down. Um, yep. And yeah, I've, I've got a lot of faith in Aston Martin moving up the grid in the next sort of three or four years. Where, where, where they shake out next season is harder to tell, but I definitely think they're going the right direction. Yeah, exactly. I think that's sort of a better way of wording what I was getting at with, like until we know where they're at with the car for this season, the short term's maybe a bit up in the air, but there's, there's already more stability at Aston Martin. Like, they know who's now leading that team going forward. And maybe it's just a public thing that we don't know about Alpine, but yeah. while, while ever those positions are technically vacant, they're going to struggle. I mean, it's... they've both got absolutely stellar, well, half stellar drivers. There are some amazing drivers in both of those teams. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Vettel and Alonso. So, like, all the ingredients are there, I think, to, mm, yeah. to for both of those teams to become real challengers in the very near future. It's just a case of them, I think, refining sort of these changes that they've made, um, settling in with them and getting and learning to get the most out of them. I think, like, both of these teams have been have underperformed in the last year, given the quality of driver that they've got and given the yeah. the teams that they have behind, you know, the, the players that they've got in each team. Mm-hmm. So it, you could argue in a way that there's only really one way they can go and that's up. Yeah. So, 
It's just I, who's going to go up more than the other and what are the rest I mean, of the teams going to do. Alpine could definitely go further backwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely possible. I mean, like, they're in a bit of limbo situation at the minute and the only thing that worries me about Alpine and that is thinking back to before McLaren finally got settled with their management structure and how they had those couple of years where they really struggled, where like when Stoffel was there, Stoffel van Dorn, yeah. and it was like they were just garbage seasons. The Alonso sadly, years. for them. The Alonso yeah. years, yeah. wasn't it? And it, well, that was kind of going to be my other point is it's all well and good having a world-class driver in the car, but if the management's not there to guide the team and the development, then... Yeah. It's pointless, like it's wasted. And this, so. and you know, however brave a face Alpine put on it, they're currently sitting like what less than a month from the start of testing, less than two months from the first race without a team principal, like that. Yeah, yeah. However, you um, dress it up, that's not a good place to be. But then, yeah. on the other hand, Aston Martin are sitting in a position where they might not be at the first not test. If rumors are to be believed, mm. yeah. So yeah, lots, lots, lots going on with those two teams. It's, it's, I think this next few weeks are going to be crucial for both those teams to sort of for for their season really, and in, in leading into the new new season. You know, it's it's really important mm-hmm. for Alpine, it's for Aston to just get on top of things and get a flipping car together. <laughs> and yeah, um, for Alpine, it's much more a case of getting a getting someone to lead the team and you know get get things going and, and make sure there's an anchor for the team to yeah. sort of grip onto. So, yeah, very interesting to see how, how those things are going to pan out for those teams over the next few weeks. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, in the last bit of personnel news, uh, Red Bull have also come to agreement with Mercedes over Ben Hodgkinson. So he was the head of mechanical engineering at Mercedes-Benz high-performance powertrains, and he is leaving to become the technical director of Red Bull powertrains. Um and again, there was some disagreement over gardening leave and stuff, but he's going to be joining them come the end of May. Um, Can I go we- on gardening leave? <laughs> Why are you joining I'm, another podcast? Is this your I love gardening. <laughs> love gardening. I wonder how many people gardening actually... Leave, is gardening leave when you just watch David Attenborough's Green Planet? For you know, if you're on gardening leave, you are legally obliged to do gardening. You have to do gardening. <laughs> yeah. A man from the government um, comes and checks every day if you're in the garden. Yeah. Alan Titchmarsh is employed by the government to come around and check yeah. that you're gardening every single day. Yeah, if he gets around there, there isn't a gazebo after day three. He's, <laughs> he's taking you down. That is such a it's niche like, UK reference you've just yeah. made. It's like, <laughs> yeah. just throw another one out there. It's like an episode of Ground Force every weekend in your back garden. Oh, God. Uh, I'm moving us on. Um, <laughs> so speaking of Red Bull powertrains, there's an interesting sort of some interesting comments and statements come out in the last week or so. Um, basically stemming from Helmut Marco saying in an interview that there has been a rethink at Honda and that they may be continuing to manufacture and supply engines for Red Bull until the new regulations in 2026 um, and the Honda branding probably remaining on the Red Bull and AlphaTauri cars, which is obviously a big old U-turn on <laughs> them Just giving the, basically handing the bits yeah. to Red Bull and build it yourselves kind of thing. Um, so the quote from Helmut Marco was, uh, we've now found a completely different solution to the one originally envisaged. 
we don't have to touch the engines until 2025 because that will come entirely from Japan. The engines will be manufactured in Japan until 2025. We will not touch them at all. This means the rights and all those things will remain with the Japanese, which is important for 2026 because it makes us yeah. newcomers. Yeah. Um, so Red Bull have since played down these comments. Um, Honda have confirmed they received a request <laughs> from Red Bull, but haven't made any decisions yet. Yeah. Um, I mean, it sounds like Helmut's just giving the game away. It kind of does, <laughs> yeah. doesn't it? But like, you can you can already see the controversy here because there was all this. Oh no, Honda leaving. Whatever will we do? The only way Red Bull can stay in the sport is if we have an engine freeze, which all the teams agreed to. And now it's suddenly like, oh, actually, I've, I've had a change of heart. We're going to keep oh, having we've won the a engine. championship. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, I, I don't believe for a second the engine freeze will be affected by any of this if it comes to pass, but you can imagine the likes of Mercedes and Ferrari being a little miffed if suddenly this engine freeze they agreed to proves to not be quite as necessary. Because I'm sure mm. if at the time this was agreed on, the line was Honda are going to keep supplying us engines but aren't going to develop them, can we have an engine freeze? They would tell red bull where to jog on to yeah well so, i think like if, if this has all been arranged on that proviso they've got pretty good grounds to sort of go to the fa and say hold on a minute this ain't on you know yeah it's, yeah we want to do thing if, if this is not the case anymore then we need to have ourselves have a rethink <laughs> about what what we're mm. gonna do with these rules um and also like the you know this kind of stinks a little bit because it's obviously a clear political play to allow Red Bull to develop an engine over many, many years with their own powertrain and then come in as an as an apparent newcomer when the new and get the same deal that uh I suppose VW or whoever end up taking that spot it get. Is but at the same time I don't believe for a second they'd be hiring people like Ben Hodgkinson, was it from Mercedes, to put Honda engines together. They were already hiring these people to work on the next gen of engines anyway. That's true, but they're still trying to gain an advantage. But, you know, we, everyone knows that they want to build an engine, but they're, what they're doing yeah. is they're, manip- they're manipulating the political situation to, or the rules situation to make it so that they become a newcomer instead of being yeah. a continuation of a team, you know? And, like, that that stinks. That's not cool. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. sketchy, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's super sketchy. And it brings us full circle back to the the frequent talking point of this is at play because teams have far too much say in what doesn't exactly. well, happen yeah, from exactly. rules and regulations. Yeah. If you let the players make the rules, then the rules are you know people are going to do play tricks and, and mm-hmm. make mm-hmm. make these kind of things happen, like, and you're seeing it play out here. Yeah, there's like there's nothing wrong with putting a rule in front of the teams and asking them to vote on it for an opinion, but the the decision should st- like yeah, you shouldn't no, be taking when, requests from teams. Yeah, when you when you change the rules, at, yeah, when you change the rules at a team's request, yeah, and then the team's like, oh, actually, um, well, didn't need that. <laughs> never Cheers, mind. Anyway. Didn't need to do that, but thanks. Yeah, I mean that <laughs> just that's just strange. Yeah, mm. it um it makes you wonder as well how the kind of Audi, VW, Porsche kind of stories play into all this because it's pretty open secret at this point that that group have been having conversations with red bull with mclaren um like is is this kind of sowing the seeds for that to happen for the new angel regulation i don't know i feel like this is the beginning of a story that's going to rumble on for quite a while 
as yeah, is yeah, the huge with Red Bull. <clears throat> like, Red Bull cannot be just content with an engine supplier and go racing. There has to be controversy around their engines, no matter what it is. Yeah. There always there is, has there? to be something. It's never simple with Red Bull, is it? Definitely no. not when engines are concerned. No, definitely. I think I don't think there's much simple around Red Bull at the minute. You know, drivers, <laughs> engines. I mean, regulations, livery followed rulemaking, <laughs> rule breaking, accusations. You know, I've never seen a season like it last year, and it's not going to change. They better have a new livery this year. I'll be so upset if they just <laughs> have the same livery. <laughs> no, I have a new no livery. Way, no way. No You're way. dreaming. You're dreaming. They might have a. I mean, they've had some sick preseason liveries, so maybe they'll be. Leave it on the car then. Oh. Yeah. Well, I wish. Let's save livery talk. There'll be plenty of that in the coming weeks. Yeah, we've got <laughs> loads of that to come. Um, a quick word on the fallout from Abu Dhabi without getting too deep into it. Um, so we know that the FIA inquiry is underway on that. Um, the findings are due to be prevented to the F1 commission on the 14th of Feb, um, so a couple of weeks from now, after discussion with all F1 drivers. And then the findings have to be approved by the World Motorsport Council and they'll actually be finalised and presented on the 18th of March in Bahrain, which just so happens to be the first um, practice session of the season, which is leaving things a little late. Um, The interesting thing that's happened in recent days is that the um, FIA Secretary General for Sport, Peter Bayer, who's the man overseeing the review, said in an interview recently that... um, a change of the race director to someone other than Michael Massey is among the options under consideration. Uh, another option they're considering is to divide the race director's responsibilities into multiple roles. Um, I don't know why the guy doing this report is out there running his mouth on about the, what's going on with it mid-review um, on a podcast or wherever he's, it was. He's no Sue Gray. <laughs> mm, <yeah. laughs> um, but funnily enough, the day after that story came out, the FAI released a statement to say that no decisions have been made and the investigation is ongoing. Um, with the police. <laughs> um, I like the, the idea of the race director role being split among multiple people, I think is, I'm glad that's being sort of said in this context. I think that's a smart idea. That's a good thing that could come from all this. We shouldn't get into rhetoricals, no. We should wait until the report comes out before we make any decisions. We should. Decisions. Um, I think, I think, I think, well, this <laughs> you story... Didn't, oh my God, I can't believe I you mean... didn't get that reference. You are kidding me. Oh, right. No. Do you know what? I'm trying so hard to just not even think about all of that stuff these days. (laughs) (laughs) Again, in niche UK, well, not that niche UK references, but but there we go. (laughs) Yeah. So obviously this story gained a lot of traction because the headline was FYA might be getting rid of Michael Massey and there's still a lot of people calling for his head. Um, I think my fear with all that is that they just decide to make him a scapegoat. I'm like, oh yeah, we'll get rid of him. And then nothing else changes, which I think is the worst yeah. possible outcome of this. That is the worst. Yeah, 100%. I agree with you there. So a couple of things here. Um, first thing is the timing of when they're going to release this report. Um, stinks. It, it stinks. Um, there's a reason for it, obviously. I think what they're doing is with the rumours of Hamilton potentially not coming back to the sport, they kind of, by putting this release of this report onto this date, puts the ball in, ha- in Hamilton's court. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of... Because he, he can't exactly yeah. just show up on the first day of the season and be like, oh, hi, without going to testing. So everyone's going to know the answer, roughly, as to whether or not Hamilton's going to be coming back by first week of testing. We're going to know. Do you so know what would be great, though? 
just to interrupt What's you, that? is if Friday morning press conference, Mercedes just send like stuff of Van Dorn just to sit next to Lewis Hamilton oh in the press conference. Can you, doesn't say a word, just sits in a chair next to him. Yeah. Can you imagine though, like if day one, like day one of testing, they put one of the reserve drivers in the car. Yeah. Just for shenanigans. That is, gonna, that is just going to spark <laughs> that, so That's much. just never going to happen though, is it? Because they're going to obviously be such a formula change. I know I know you're joking, but such a formula change, yeah. you need to drive that car as much yeah. as you can before the start of the season. Like You cannot, no driver, no matter how how many world championships you've got, if you show up to the first race, having not driven the car before, <laughs> you're pr- going to be pretty slow. Um, so there's that there's that side of it um, where th- they're kind of playing a bit playing games I think a little mm. bit there with Hamilton um, but at the same time there's also the for me like I feel like it is something that they need to sort out soon and mm-hmm. they should probably come out with decisions before the start of the season because I think they're banking on the idea that enough will happen over testing and over the start of the se- of a practice and things that people won't be talking about it anymore. And mm. I think it's the job of all Formula One fans to continue to not get distracted. But I mean, obviously it's a clever game they're playing and it, and it makes sense. Like they're, they're playing it right is how I play it. But it's our responsibility to make sure that you know they're held to account, and, and hmm. something is done. They can't just brush this under the carpet. And to me, it feels like with some of the timing of some of these decisions and releasing of some of the information, definitely feels like you know they're trying to yeah. let the storm pass. And I, I don't think it will work for them. I, I don't think it's the right approach. I think there's been enough talk on the internet, and there's been enough people upset by it all that they're not going to just let this this one go like this is here this is a problem that's here to stay for Mm. people and it needs sorting out properly yeah and you're right like i I definitely think they tried to take that oh just stay quiet and we'll go away approach and i think they're realizing that Mm. that's not going to work and like and it's not like you don't have to spend long on the internet to see that the the sort of anger with it all is still there and like mm-hmm. yes there's the two extreme ends of the fans there's a there's a extreme end yeah. of hamilton fans who are just like anything other than handing him the championship is not enough and there's the extreme end of a staff and fans who just take every opportunity to make Why? a joke at hamilton and his fans yeah. expense sort of thing but most people in the middle are just still like are you not going to tell us anything about this because it, the way yeah. it went down just wasn't on and as fans we deserve better than that I mean, I'm I'm not holding out a huge amount of hope, but I'm sort of reserving judgment just because there's obviously a change in presidency and stuff like that. Mm. Like there's there's change higher up in the FIA that's been happening in amongst this, and I mean at least they've set dates and said here are the things we're doing, and this is when you know, the outcome of this will happen and this is when a formal decision will be made and so on and so forth. Like, obviously, if the decision that comes at that time is just, we've decided to take no further action, then, <laughs> yeah, like, it's an absolute crock and <laughs> I, I don't know what I'll do at that point. Like, there will the, be outrage. I think the Formula One world would implode if that yeah. happened. Yeah. I think if no further but, action was the... Was the like, yes, the the dates are obviously them just trying to bide their time as long as possible, but if it leads to them looking into it properly and decisions like the ones that have kind of been put out there 
going ahead, like splitting that power up so it's more than one person responsible for it and mm-hmm. replacing people who, well, essentially replacing Massey, who was like at the center of it all um, yeah. for a new like set of permanent stewards and permanent race directors and so on. Then like that's all positive and at least action's been taken. So until we know what it is, I'm kind of just reserving judgment for now. Yeah. I will give you I will give you some judgments right here, right now. <laughs> I, I don't even care. Massey's <laughs> got to go. There's for me, there's no doubt about that. I think it's not just the end of last season. It, there's all kinds of mistakes that have been yeah. made over the course of his his uh, leadership of that department, where you just you know they're inexcusable. Like the fir- the very first one was the um at the Tus- was it the Tuscan Grand Prix when uh, uh Miguel the safety car yeah the safety car where mm-hmm. he where he mm-hmm. basically. He really told the safety car to not put the lights out until the last minute, mm-hmm. so they'd have to yeah. all have a drag race down the street, <laughs> which was always going to end in disaster. Um, so there's that for even that even that one thing for me to begin with was like, oh God, I'm not sure this is the mm-hmm. right decision. So uh, there's so many other, others that have happened yeah. since then, up and down the grid, that it just has to it has to be stopped. And the only way you stop it is you have to cut. You have you do have to take that person out of that role and they have to be replaced. I think the the, the, the correct answer is to replace that one person with multiple multiple other people, however many yeah. that yeah. takes, um, and have them work as a team on a race that, weekend in that role. Those kind of decisions for me should not be left to one person alone. Nah. And Absolutely. they shouldn't be like any one person with an overriding don't care what you think i'm doing it this way because i think that's for the best I should am, never should never um, have that much like power and responsibility in a single person's hands in a sport like that yeah i do think though in Go terms on, of the like the safety issues and i, I agree with you Stu. like it was, it's like i i do think michael Mass needs replacing but i thought that long before abu dhabi it's it's the safety things we've had over the last mm. few years yeah exactly exactly, exactly. But yeah. that being said I also kind of think that's an FIA problem, not a Michael Massey problem. Because if you watched Formula E at the weekend, we had a truck on the track dangling a car. We had the safety car not expecting it and slamming the brakes on the train going to the back of each other. It was it was another just like set of shocking decisions around driver safety under safety cars and with cranes on track and stuff. And mm. the response that we got afterwards was exactly the same response we always get from Michael Massey, which is always just like, no, it was fine. Nothing to be concerned about. I'm not worried. And it's like, no, no yeah. that's not a good enough response. And it was just like carbon copy. So I think as much as no. I as much as much I do think Michael Massey has a lot to answer for, I think the problems go much higher than him, which is why this report needs to go into way more detail than that. Yeah, that's like that. that's like a similar situation though, isn't it? Where you've got a single race director that's got yeah, exactly an overarching decision over anything else, mm-hmm. yeah. and he's trying to probably do two or three things at once because they are yeah. trying to talk to teams, keep teams happy, uh, check yeah. where everyone is on circuit, manage marshals and cranes and equipment. Like they're doing too much. Yeah, it yeah, shouldn't exactly. be yeah. one person. And here's here's the way I see it. So. The the sport has evolved in every every possible way, so to, to such an advanced stage over so many years, 
to become what it is now. And yet mm. it feels like the the decision making process at the top during during race direction is still the same now as what it it, it appears to be the same mm. now as what it was back in the yeah. 90s. It's just a, a very very usually a very very small maybe just one person calling the shots and when you've got a sport that's as advanced as this and every team has got such a strong understanding of what's going on across the the entire event and when you've got such a a nuanced sort of advanced level of things going on in every other aspect of the sport but that one thing has been left behind and that one thing is arguably the thing that is running the sport and running the event and making crucial decisions about how the event is running mm. and and progressed that has to be evolved and it hasn't been and sh- this is the time now across motorsport this is the time now to evolve race direction and make it more fit for purpose yeah I, I think the re- the reason that we yeah. see the things that we saw in formula e last weekend and that we've seen in formula one for the last couple of years is because that entire process is it's still in the dark ages compared to what all the teams have got which is why you've got teams lobbying race directors yeah for decisions that they see should be the case it's because they've got a better eye of what's going on because like because when yeah. you describe it the way you just did like one person doing all those jobs like that's what you'd expect from like club races in their mx5s going around like exactly. alton park at the weekend or something like yeah. that's not what how the top tier of motorsport should be should be yeah. run yeah Top tiers plural. Top tiers plural because yeah. Formula E is the top tier of electric yeah. vehicle racing. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no doubt yeah. about that. And, and obviously, what... F two and F three have the same problems as well. Um, yeah, yeah. World Endurance Championship, I think, does a lot of these things a lot better. Um, but obviously, they've got three times as many cars to be looking after half the time in those races. Yeah. But still, yeah. there's definitely you know there, there needs to be a willingness to learn lessons from. Yeah. To, to, to take people from across different disciplines of motorsport as well and apply them in mm-hmm. different ways across the entire discipline, across motor racing, you know? Go yeah. to go to um, the FIA, go to the Automobile Club du West for... Is, is that what it's called? For, um, for Le Mans? Because it's yeah. not actually an FIA event, is it? Le Mans. Le- the Le Mans 24 hours. Le Mans itself, I think, isn't, but the rest of... WEC yeah, is, WEC is yeah. As, as a general series. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know but, if Le Mans yeah. an yeah, exception. Yeah, FIA WEC, I think. But anyway. Is, is it like it, including the Indian F1 years ago, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Like so, it wasn't FIA, but was yeah. included. You've got all these, across global mm. motorsport, you've got all these sort of different different leagues and different different formulas. Why not take people from all of those different places and mingle them up a little bit more and get them, yeah. get them, get their heads together yeah. and analyze what everyone's doing with their racing and see where the improvements can come from? Because to me, World Endurance Championship does a lot better job of of marshalling. In years of watching Le Mans, I have never seen a Le Mans race where you see, you know, absolute howlers from safety cars or from no. Um, stewards and granted there's less races it only happens once a year but it's a 24 hour race there's a lot of opportunity there for things to to, for people to make mistakes and they just don't seem to happen anything like as much as what we've seen in f1 over the last couple of years like likewise i watched uh chunks of the um 
Daytona 24 over the weekend. And, you know, obviously didn't watch the full three and four hours, but there were an awful lot of yellow flag periods in that race. And it just, everything just seemed to be done right every time I saw one. And it's because they've got protocols in place and they follow them. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. I think, I think the kind of, the, the core to all of this is that there is the potential for this to be a positive thing for the FIA to learn things and make changes and for to come out the other side of it a better sport and i really hope they see that opportunity and make the most of it yep yeah absolutely agreed. well-rounded chris <laughs> thank <laughs> you very much i'll move us on um a couple of other bits and bobs uh the first pre-season test in barcelona is going to be held behind closed doors with no tv coverage or live timing after i've announced um <laughs> there will be at the end of each day lap times and content and you know we're all here for that content. Don't know what the content's going to be, but there will be content. I don't know what that content's going to be. <laughs> and you're going to be the one making, making some of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's just Ted Kravitz and cheese again. Yeah, that's it. That's that's or all the maybe, content you need. Maybe like a a nice big leg of ham this time. Or oh, something. maybe yeah. Um, yeah, the second test is in Bahrain. Still going to have the full coverage and spectators and all of that but they've sort of described it as a pre-testing low-key track session for barcelona which it's it's weird like a lot of people are up in arms about this but at the same time the idea of having full coverage of pre-season testing was an alien idea three years ago like it's a really yeah. recent development that we've got to sit and watch testing so yeah even though weird it's, it's, you know in 2000 and, uh, i think 19 or no 2018 remember rightly um they only just started sort of filming it then really and i yeah. remember you know we, we had loads of high mo for like slow-mo footage high mo footage yeah from the cars going out then and it was really interesting see really exciting to see the, the this, these weren't broadcast live and no one had a problem with it yeah exactly people weren't expecting to see it live it's only because we had one or two testing sessions test live that people want to see i, I think it's fine i i'm okay with it not being live, I don't think a day of Formula One cars pootling around the track doing testing laps is particularly exciting. So I don't think it's crucial for us. I think this year, maybe it's a little bit different because it's new cars and people want to see the new cars, but everyone's going to see the go, they want to see the cars going around the track. But everyone's going to have seen the cars in beautiful photos and beautiful renders. Yeah. Anyway. Sort of thing and yeah. they're all going to have the garages covered up anyway it's really difficult to actually get a grasp of what is going on with any of the teams during the, the first test every, every single time mm-hmm. so as much as as strange as i find it that they're not that they're not um showing it i can i kind of get why i don't really have a problem with them not showing it because it's not as a fan i don't think it's that important that i see yeah. the testing I also don't believe for a second the cars in Spain are going to be anything like the final cars. It's going to be Bahrain to see what the cars are going to actually be like anyway. So yeah, I mean, yeah, like the, I mean, it's nice to see them, and I think if there's a little bit of internal footage that's then just rolled into like a a, a, a small highlights package, I mean that's generally that's enough isn't it yeah like, plen- that is plenty like no it's... one need you don't need a whole day have you ever been to a formula one test it's a long old day yeah yeah it's a really long day it's it's not that i mean it's fun if you've never I... seen f1 car before go because it's cheap as anything as well so it's worth going if you're yeah. or anything like that but 
a whole day of Formula One cars going around the track is there's only so. I mean, you only really need an hour, and you've <laughs> probably seen as much as you're going to see. Yeah. And if you're going to go, go at the end of the day because they open up the pit and let you sit on the cars and, and yeah. the old cars and stuff. And it's also worth saying as well, like if you do really want to see some pictures and footage from the test, you know what F1 fans are going to like. People will be finding ways to get photos and video from that test well, whether yeah, they're I mean, letting you in or not people always find ways to get footage yeah. before we start getting like coverage of it i remember that well you i don't know i don't know if you will this year but in previous years if you had a ticket for the spanish gp you used to be able to go to yeah. the testing oh really which is how which is how we got one of our testing tickets because you used to get access to the testing as like a general admission inspector that, yeah that's a nice little mm. perk, isn't it? i like that um, spanish grand prix that's but, how they fill the stands in Spain, is it? Yeah. Um, but I remember that like on those years where they used to do that, you used to get people essentially just like live streaming it from their phone or from like yeah. cameras that they'd hooked yeah. up to a laptop and stuff and people would just stream it and you could sit and like watch a particular sector of track all day if you wanted to. I remember or, like, there was like between different streams. I remember a few years ago there was someone doing that like live streaming from within the within the circuit and like clearly the circuit security got wind of it and like went and found him and the the stream went down and then about half an hour later the stream just came back up on a different location at the circuit yeah and it was just, just like a different kept area. popping up at different places around the track that's amazing that yeah amazing. it eventually pops up in like just a prison cell it's <laughs> <laughs> like just out, outside on the street of well yeah, yeah. we can hear it now but that's about as much as you're getting <laughs> Um, few other bits to cover. Oh, we've had the W Series calendar announced for the season. Um, eight mm. rounds this year, all as F1 support races again. They are starting in Miami, which means there's a pretty high chance they are going to be the first cars to go racing at that new circuit, which is quite cool. Dang, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Um. So the rest of the season, they're going to be uh, after Miami, uh, Spain, Britain, France, Hungary, Japan. Uh, the second USA race at Cota, and then finishing the season in Mexico, which is quite a cool little calendar they've got there. That's a very, that's a proper global mm. cal- calendar. That, yeah, that's really cool. It's yeah. going to cost an arm and a leg for them to get them around. They're, <laughs> they're in um, they're in Arizona at the minute as well, aren't they? For yes. The prospective driver testing. Yeah. In oh. my spiritual US home. Oh yeah, of course. Why, why is it your spiritual? Oh, because the Cardinals. It's Cardinals, Coyotes, Suns, just anything, anything. Arizona. Oh, that's so nice. yes, I will what's, go to whatever circuit they're at one day and just. What have circuit a look. is it actually? <laughs> I don't. I, do you know what? As much as I profess myself to be like, I love Arizona. Yeah, and here we go. Now we're sports, <laughs> I don't. I, I didn't <laughs> actually sure. know there was a there was a circuit there that Absolutely like of, of that kind of standard. So. Oh, such, a, such an Arizona fan, are you? What's the circuit yeah. there? <laughs> I like. I like. Correcting people about how much of the Grand Canyon is within <laughs> Arizona, because everyone's like, oh, "It's in Nevada," and like, "Well, actually, actually, more of it's in Arizona." Don't you is know? Is that true? Is yeah. that true? The, Ari- uh, the Grand National National Park is uh, Grand Canyon National Park Grand is National, in Arizona. Different, different thing. <laughs> the horses, <laughs> yeah, lot, just lots of horses. They um, are. They are okay, at. It's either Ind or Indy. It's I N D E Motorsports Park in Arizona. There you go. Ugh, Never heard. Literally of it. every, every um, USA racetrack is motorsport park, isn't it? it makes <laughs> yeah. Really difficult to distinguish. 
going to go find a copy of that digitally somewhere on a game and do a lap. Yeah, yeah. you should, you should. Definitely. <laughs> Bounce me out there somewhere. Um, okay. We should we can mention Formula E briefly. Um, we had the yep. opening two rounds in Diria over the weekend. Uh, defending champion Nick de Vries won the first one after Van Dorn basically handed him the win by missing the attack mode, which was disappointing as a Sucky. Van Dorn fan. Yep. Mm. Um, and then Mortaro won the second race, a 1-3 finish for Venturi, who are looking really good this season yeah. that um, car as well that car looks, looks so cool so nice it? so really simple cool. but so well executed yeah really nice um we had six different drivers on the podium across the two races which is always cool um mortara's leading the championship after two races um mercedes are leading the constructors by a point um but most importantly it was the first time we saw the new crazy qualifying format in action <gasps> so yeah. good it's brilliant it's so brilliant. Really good. Yes. So I, I, for, for, for anyone who's not heard, the really short version is they they split the grid in two. They do two, I think it's 12-minute sessions and the top yeah. four from each advance. And then the top four are then split into single lap, head-to-head sort of shootouts. So they do quarterfinals, semifinals, and a final to decide the rest of the grid. And it was awesome. Really, really awesome. Um I think they they did a really good job of presenting it. So they didn't do it yes. for all of them, but for a lot of the head-to-heads, they would do a split screen because um, they, they basically left the pit lane like 10 seconds apart. So one was doing the lap 10 seconds behind the other. But they would delay the feed of the first car by those 10 seconds. So you were actually watching the two cars side-by-side as if they're on the track at the same time, even yeah. though they're not. Yeah, kind of, we, and it was really well done. Like so well it, done, diffi- difficult to do as well. Yeah, with live footage that, like, yeah, in the moment. I must admit that that I had mixed feelings about that. Part of me is like, well, I've just been watching all this, and oh, whoa, whoa, suddenly, like, I'm seeing them both at the same time. How it mm-hmm. took it took my mind a second to like catch yeah. up and realize what was going on. Um, and I don't think it really needs that. I think. It's, I'm quite all right with having a lap time set and then seeing if the second driver can match it. Like I, I'm mm. fine with that. I don't they, think you they really also... need to do this sort of match up the times on the cameras kind of thing. Because the other cool thing they did is they didn't just give you the split times at the sectors. They get the split yeah. times updated kind of every five seconds or so. So you could kind of see if the driver behind was sort of behind or ahead on the lap time. Because yeah. um, that, that, I, I feel like they seem to try two or three different ways of presenting it throughout those qualifying sessions. Yeah. And I think they were maybe throwing a few bits of spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks kind of thing. Um, I think so. I think they should, they should definitely continue to do that. I think I can think of other ways of doing it. That would mm. be, if you're listening, anyone from Formula E, <laughs> I can think of a few other ways up. of doing it to, to make it a bit more... Not necessarily a bit more exciting, but just a little bit more cohesive. Yeah. Because I think there's not quite in. I think five seconds is too big, a, long of a time to to update the feed. And I think also you probably need a few more timing loops in order to make that work. Yeah. I definitely didn't. None of the things they tried, I definitely didn't feel like I saw it. And I was like straight away, I understand what this screen is telling me. It always took me yeah. a little bit of time to like hmm. figure out exactly what they were trying to present, kind of thing. Yeah. That, there's that and the other thing is like it almost becomes inconsequential as well because if one if the lead driver has a mistake and you see them have a mistake you know already that the next timing loop is just going to yeah. swing completely the other way which yeah. 
is nice to have like represented in front of you graphically, but I just wonder. It, it needs to. I think if you're going to do it that way, it needs to be fully live. It need, you need to be able to see yeah. continuous motion the entire time of of those those graphics moving up and down in relation to each other. Mm-hmm. Having it do it just and, and we're getting into really really boring design territory now, and I won't use <laughs> it for too long. But if you if you have if you have a display like that, you need the you need the constant movement to show what's going on in the moment. And the only way of yeah. doing that is if you've got a million timing loops all yeah. the way around the track. Um, with current technology, that's it's very difficult to do without that. Unless you get artificial intelligence involved. So maybe we should get our mate um, that we interviewed a few weeks back. Oh, uh, Tony Calderon. Yeah, get him involved. Totally yeah, get Tony Calderon. I'm sure he probably could have some. Probably really could do some really interesting stuff with that. Actually, yeah. Um, um, so yeah, it's, I, I think there's, there's room for improvement always with these things, but the concepts are there and it's a really, really, the, the qualifying format itself is just the yeah. raddest I've it's seen. So good. It's so I mean, if F1, we're going to, oh, it's never going to happen in F1. The sad thing is it'll never happen in F1 now because F1 can't do anything that formula. No, they always have to be for. first. Yeah. Yeah. But formula E have nailed that. I yeah. think it's a wicked, and it solved the problem of of the disaster that was qualifying before this as well. It, it did. solved the problem of penalizing the the, the championship leaders because you which, could you could again, see the you could even even though the two group stages were literally like a couple of minutes apart, you could see the difference in lap times on both days just between those two groups because the track evolution on a street circuit like that is oh yeah so big, and it just kind of proved why the old system was flawed, didn't it? Like. And then the fact yeah. it like it, it it literally takes away the track evolution problem with the group qualifying. Um, yeah, it was brilliant. Absolutely loved it. Um, I, the next race, I think, is in. I think it's not for a few weeks, remember rightly. But yeah, if you if you didn't it's a watch, while off. Yeah, yeah, it's about a month away. Yeah, it's a shame they always do that with the FE calendars. But um, yeah, if you didn't see it, I can very much recommend uh, watching it. Um, and just a final thing on that, you know, well done Formula E for for actually seeing a problem and addressing it. Mm-hmm. With with such sort of logic and with, when with a real sort of you know having a real desire to fix it and actually setting out to solve a problem and, and really solving it, it and, and getting like the that. driver's input as well. Yeah, yeah. And the the last thing I'll say on it is just I'm really really interested, really excited to see the nuances and the complexities of that qualifying format play out over a season. Yeah. That's you know that's the really interesting thing for me now, like seeing how teams and drivers try to manipulate that system to 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 reap the most benefit from it like and i feel like the last last thing i'll say <laughs> the we got a glimpse of that i think with degrassi's run so degrassi like held for longer than he needed to it seemed like in the second qualifying can so you tell me can someone explain what happened there so what actually happened what it actually looks like happened so basically what they do is the two, the two drivers in the duels go to the end of the pit lane uh, green light comes on, first driver goes, changes back to red. Ten seconds later, green light goes again, second driver goes. Yeah. I'm I'm 95% sure what happened was De Costa just wasn't looking because you you actually see the green the first green light comes on, <laughs> he doesn't leave, goes to red. Second green light, which should have been for Degrassi, came on, and then De Costa went. So Degrassi was left in the pit line like pit line like well now what oh, do just I do? Red yeah. light. So I, th- I think it was literally just De Costa wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Wow! Hmm. That, that, so the first car wasn't paying attention because yeah. yeah, the was first, the, the second two. car. Yeah. So yeah. the system mustn't be set up to. It must just be you push a button and it does both. Yeah. All lights. it really needed was just a way to show the green light game. But yeah, as Sarah said in the chat, De Costa actually got a good penalty for that because 
Did he? Yeah, because he was basically stopping the other driver. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, but again, you know, that's a nuance of the of the yeah. format that has played out, and we've seen it, and now we know. Yeah, and it's just exciting to see those things really develop is. across the season. I'm really interested to see and th- how it how it continues. I think what was cool about it as well, because we we obviously had lots of different qualifying formats in F1 over the years. We've had variations on like everyone on track at once qualifying, and we've had one shot qualifying, and this kind of does a bit of both. So you have yeah, you have yeah. both worlds. Yeah, you have the group stuff at the start, and across both days, it was not not entirely, but a lot of the same names ended up at the top of the pile in the group qualifying, which kind of reflected the faster drivers, faster cars. But then you come down to these head-to-head single lap and you've got drivers pushing too much, making mistakes, and not necessarily the fastest drivers getting through that stage. Um, Yeah, it was was, was brilliant. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, Right, last little thing to mention before we go to the inbox. We've got the first of our launch dates. Um, first is Aston Martin on the 10th of Feb, which is not very long away at all, is it? 10 days. 10 days, 10 days away. 10 days at time of release, day of release. So close. Uh, McLaren the next day on the 11th. Alpha Terry on Valentine's Day on the 14th. Um, Ferrari 17th of Feb. Mercedes 18th of Feb. Alpine 21st of Feb. That's all the ones we have so far. Um, and then, of course, the first test is 23rd of Feb. So maybe one or two of the teams might just launch in the pit lane at Barcelona. Um, but yeah, not far off at all. So we'll definitely be around to talk about the launches and most importantly, judge some liveries because that's the most yeah, exciting part of the season. That's, the, that literally, is, like, that's it. <laughs> well, it's the that's most exciting part of pre-season. <laughs> no, no, our season's it, done absolute, once we've done livery ranking. Yeah. It's done. Okay, so we're just going to end the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's it. No, no, yeah, that's it. Done. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Should we... Do a bit of inbox. Yeah. Yes. Keep me saying now. Stay, stay out. Shall I take the first one of these? Go for it. Um, Wesley says, based on what little news I've had so far and your keen intuition, <laughs> what teams will offer the biggest surprises at the Not-A-Test shakedown session in Spain? Both positive, both, excuse me, both positive and negative surprises. Hmm. I think... I'm going to say Williams will be a positive surprise. Um... Not like mm-hmm. they're going to turn up and be fastest, but I think they'll be like pretty on the pace from sort of the early days of testing. Negative, negative surprise. Kind of back to what we said earlier. I think I think Alpine. I, I Alpine are my pick to like have a rough start of things. Do you think that'll be a surprise though? That'll be a surprise. I think they'll be surprisingly even worse than we maybe <laughs> fear. Fair enough. Fair enough. Mm. Uh, Tom? Um, I don't know. I think my surprise will be how good the alpha is in Bottas's hands. Mm-hmm. And Ooh, he suddenly looks like strong. That. Yeah. And that's, then that's oh, the disappointment... I don't know. Um, 
Ferrari have not made the gains that we all hope that they have. Yeah, okay. Uh, my oh, mine's easy then. You've made it easy for me, guys. But I think my my positive surprise would be that it, it's going to be really, really close at the front um, between maybe four teams. That'd be really, really surprise not surprise like i'd quite mm. like that to be the it's a possibility that it could be the case it's a strong possibility three teams will be very fast i think mm-hmm. there's an outside possibility that it could be four um which if you listen to previous previous podcasts you'll probably be able to work out which four teams i'm talking about mm-hmm. um the negative surprise going in the opposite direction will be that either mercedes or red bull are just streets ahead of everyone else let's hope it's the former <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Uh, next one, Model 28. Uh, is this a make or break year for Leclerc? Um, he lost the team battle to Carlos in 21, and though he signed a long-term deal, if Carlos beats him again, would that be a career c- killer for Charles Leclerc in Formula 1? And could we see that relationship with Ferrari begin to fall apart? I think that's an affront on Carlos Sainz. <laughs> I think hmm. Carlos Sainz is... I actually think Carlos Sainz is the better of those two drivers. And I think, well, I mean, I've said it, and we're about to trigger a lot of Ferrari <laughs> fans. Get yourselves ready, but I'm going to say mm. it again. He's the, most over, he's the most overrated driver in Formula One. People absolutely rave about him. And to me, he, I mean, he's no Verstappen and he's no Hamilton. So, do you think they do anymore? Though, like I would say, over the last couple of years, a lot of that has kind of died down died a little down bit. A bit. I over think the last maybe. two seasons, where he's not been as like prominently yeah. focal, I guess, because of like the title battle be- between Verstappen and Hamilton, for example. I I don't think that the hype that used to be so focused on Leclerc is what it once was. Um. I mean, whether that's because the capability of the Ferrari went down the Swanier like yeah. a couple of seasons ago or not, and H's expectations have been lowered temporarily or not, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we, we'll see, I guess, if the Ferrari is as good as we hope it is. Yeah, I think that's going to be the, the, the proof in the pudding is if that Ferrari's got the goods this year, then this is the year that, that Charles Leclerc can prove me wrong. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think I think on the flip side, like I I don't think it's necessarily like make or break or anything like that. But I can see if the Ferrari, if Ferrari have got it wrong this year and they're not winning races over the next couple of years, I can see frustration starting to set in because he's on yeah. a long deal, isn't yeah. he? He's there till like twenty twenty five or is, something is, mad like he, that. He signed a five year deal yeah. or something, didn't he? Yeah. So I, mean, I can see frustration setting in. Yeah, you, you, I think if you're Charles Leclerc and you've got a you've got a dog of a car next year, then you're gonna get itchy feet. But if he's not even beating his teammate, who's gonna want him? Is the trouble? Well, yeah. the, that was gonna be my flip side of that. Like, if Ferrari do get the car right this year and are like very serious title contenders, and Leclerc's not taking that opportunity with like both hands, and Carlos is running him to the wire on on a title race, then Ferrari are going to reevaluate like who they're paying mm. the big bucks to and over what sort I mean, of contract length. And but so at the on. same time, if if they're even and they're both winning and they're both beat and they're beating everyone else and they're getting one twos and you know it's, they're battling between each other, then you know you've got 
you've got a Mercedes situation on your hands there where you don't need yeah. to get rid of the number two Still. and the number two ends up being because he's doing a good enough job that you're winning constructors and you're winning drivers anyway. So Yeah, you've got the old Hamilton Rosberg scenario. <laughs> yeah, or Hamilton Bottas. Like for for early early those early years of Bottas were probably the better ones where he was sort of wrecking shop and mm. Mercedes were able to, I guess part of that's to do with how good the Mercedes was in those days. Yeah. Still, like, you know, there's no need to get rid of, uh, if, if it's not broke, don't fix it. There's no need to get <laughs> yeah. rid of, like, the, the other driver if, if yeah, if you if you're winning races and getting points. Work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If they're there to support or if they're there to do the job, then why get rid of them? I will also just say, just for the record, I've mentioned it once or twice before, but one of my predictions this year is that Ferrari will start this season with a title contending car. So I think it might be it might be when we start seeing the fireworks between those two. Right. Someone needs to write that prediction down of Chris's. So well, we well, yeah, he brings it up every time we talk season. to him about anything. <laughs> you know, if we're talking to Chris about F1 and he brings it up, so I'm not worried. <laughs> that Ferrari, that Ferrari. <laughs> Watch it be an absolute... Dog of a car. Yeah. Now you, you've cursed them. You've cursed them. I really them. have, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. Um, Max asks, who's bringing more to Alfa Romeo? Zhu with his money or Bottas with his top team expertise? I think considering their links to Ferrari, probably Bottas. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I think what he can potentially, like, I guess filter down from what he's learning in his time at Mercedes and the way that they run things could help improve how that team operates further beyond what they're currently yeah. achieving. Um, like mon- money's money's all well and good, but if you don't use it right, you achieve nothing. Mm-hmm. I don't think and money's that, been that team's problem, has it? No, and, no. and like being a Ferrari feeder team and so on, I, like I don't think they've really got issues in that department. Yes, having a driver that brings money like Zhao is probably a huge benefit for them. But I think that expertise that Bottas will bring it... will help them evolve a bit further, which, which is why I said what I said about that car maybe being a bit of a surprise and sort of pushing way further up the midfield and and being a stronger car than maybe people think it will be. We've, we're still calling them Ferrari feeder team when for the last few years they've had a Ferrari... <laughs> retiree and mm-hmm. the young driver who's already been overtaken by an even younger driver for a Ferrari seat. And then next year they've got a Mercedes retiree and <laughs> an Alpine young driver. Like, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of mad. dreams go to die. Like, when you think how many young drivers <laughs> Ferrari have, it's mad that neither are in that team next year. But then I guess Hass yeah. is filling that role, aren't they, for them? Yeah. They are, it's now. a strange situation. I mean, we could do a whole piece on this like it's, just, it's, it's a yeah. very very strange situation but there's not time to really get into that now <laughs> no um should we do the next one yep um dan instone says with Haas putting all their eggs into this season's basket what is the minimum result you feel is classed as acceptable for them Ooh. <clears throat> I, I mean at least challenging the midfield yeah i think they need to be like fighting for points on like a semi-regular basis that mm. would be a minimum level i think mm. i, I mean, have the... some thoughts about haas i think <laughs> they'll do all right this season i think they've put everything into this season and for that reason they should move forward quite a bit yeah they ought to 
Um, so my expectation would be really by mid-season, they want to be aiming for around about fifth in the constructors. Um, would be like the target, I would say, which seems like a lot to come from the back. But when you consider where they've been in the past, in their first season, Formula 1, they did incredibly well. well. Yeah. Um, and given the relationships they've got with other teams, like, yes, you can't take as much from other teams and, and stuff these days, but, you know, it's Ferrari kind of... I'm sure they could get away with something. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I expect to do to see Haas do pretty well, and they've got a bloody good driver in Mick Schumacher. Um, they've got a another driver, another driver, <laughs> and yeah, we'll see how they do. But um, my expectation would be that they should be all things being equal, they should be aiming for fifth. I also yeah. Th- Go on, sorry, Tom. No, I was just agreeing. Like literally, I think that they want to be aiming to be scoring considerable points from the onset. Yeah, I mean having practically an extra year work on the car to not be achieving that is a alarm bells for whoever's in charge at the minute well this is what i was about to say like i also think that gene has probably has a minimum expectation in his mind and i have a feeling if they aren't hitting that this might be the last season that team exists as has yeah and they might exist under a different name come next year, but that's uh, that's a long way off. Yeah. Uh, next one, paper camera. Um, a lot of talk about who is going to be the fastest, but who will be the worst team this season? Haas were obviously runaway losers last year. Um, they could be this year too, but I'm also looking at Alfa Romeo. Well, I, I disagree with that. I have a feeling there's not going to be one out-and-out slowest team this year. Mm. Unless someone's got so. it horribly wrong with the new regulations, I think you're going to have different teams at the back of different tracks. Okay, so here's um, here's another way of phrasing that question. Of all the teams, who do you think is the most likely to have got it horribly wrong with the regulations? <sighs> Ooh. That's difficult. I'm going to be really ballsy here and go out on a limb and say Alpine. I was kind of thinking, thinking Alpine. Alpine as well, yeah. Oh my God, we were all thinking Alpine. If there are any Alpine fans that listen to this podcast, they're not going to be enjoying this episode. Wow. Much. Well, we have to write that down because we have to see what comes out of the first and second tests. Yeah, add that to the predictions list. Yeah, goodness. That, I mean, Oof. for us all to, for all of our heads to go there, that's pretty telling, I think, yeah. for us all to think that. So that's your, your instincts it's, to take a yeah. your instinct yeah. there as well. I mean, it's, it's all these leadership issues for me. Yeah. Like, I've yeah. already said it earlier that not having them people in charge mean you it for me in danger of being like McLaren were for a year or two and yeah. just kind of wallowing without development and trying mm. to put stuff in place to further progress in a future season. We've all so. said that, despite the rumours that Aston Martin won't have a car at the, at the first test. <laughs> I know, right? Mm. We're all del- doubting El Plan. How dare we? Have faith in Daddy Stroll. El Plan. <laughs> El Plan. Um, sh- next one. Next. Toby Godfrey says, thoughts on Red Bull being genuinely compromised for this year's car due to last year's all-in focus. They were more focused on the Mercedes, I think, than they were on their own car towards the end of the season. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, I mean... Teams at their level are 
kind of used to it. I mean, yeah, fair enough. They've not been that close to a title in recent years, but they've been there before and they've not really let it compromise them the season after. I mean, they won multiple back-to-back with Seb with teams pushing them close and having to fight to the end of a year. But so. I think there's a difference, though, Tom, because th- those years were evolutionary years, weren't they? A lot of them. Yeah, true. There um, is that. And they they kind of had a they had a bit of an advantage. I would say, if any team is equipped to get through a, a sort of a, an aero transformation better than any other team, it probably is Red Bull because they've got yeah. the, the mind of Adrian Newey. Um. But then yeah. with a lot of Adrian Newey's sort of acolytes and disciples spread across the Formula One paddock these days, you don't mm. know, you just don't know what's going to happen really. Um, yeah. But I think, yeah, I think you're right in terms of like the the, the previous season affecting it. Uh, I think Red Bull are well enough funded and well enough resourced that they can get around that. I think they'll be fine. Yeah, I'd, I'd say the same for them, Mercedes and I mean Ferrari. They're like yeah, three big ones. McLaren probably once upon a time, but their recent financial difficulties yeah. have probably kept them behind in that area. But I mean, those top three, I'd expect them to be able to take a fight to the end of a season and it not severely compromised the next year. I do still have a feeling Red Bull might have a slightly stuttered start to the season and have to do a little bit of catching up, but I'm not talking like they're going to be you know, the back in testing. I think they're just going to be a, a, a bit off the front runners, whoever they may be, and have to catch mm, up a bit. But maybe. Time will tell. Time will tell. Um, should we do the next one? Mm-hmm. Um, store brand cereal. Nice name. <laughs> Great name. Says, um, oh, it's a Formula E question. Are Dragon Penske regretting signing Giovinazzi yet? Is there really that big of a learning curve between Formula 1 and Formula E? He hmm. did have a rough old first couple of races, didn't he? He was he did. pretty far off the pace. I think there is a big learning curve. There is a very big learning curve. Um, numerous drivers, um, um, like Andre Lotterill is the one that always comes to mind. Like he's been around for years. He's won Le Mans. Like he's won World Endurance Championship, I think. He said Formula E was the hardest series he's ever had to join and learn. So that is a big part of it. He, um, Giovinazzi also did a lot less pre-season testing than most of the other drivers on the grid. And they've also cut down the length of the practice sessions in Formula E this year. So it was sort of a perfect storm to not That's set him up fine. for it. Um, the Dragon yeah. car is also a bit of a dog by the looks of it. But it was still a little bit disappointing. So I think it's maybe a little from each side, to be honest with you. Um, I've, I'm... I'm confident in time he will get up to speed, but it might take him a couple of rounds to do it. Yeah. I mean, if we're completely honest, he didn't set the world on fire in Formula 1, did he? So, No, it's but, true. No, And the, I think the quality of driver in Formula E these days is a lot higher than it was, say, yeah, six, very seven much years so. ago. So, I, I suppose you've only got to look at his first couple of experiences in Formula 1 as well, remember? Like yeah. being in that Sauber and yeah, getting on the wet the stuff in China and sticking it in the wall and those kind of mistakes when he... Stepped in for Verline, like I, th- I think he's probably one of those drivers that takes a little while to get used to his new machinery. But then once he's once he's got his head around it and he's he's feeling comfortable, he's he's fairly consistent. Yeah. Um. So I think I'm not saying right off the, him this season, but 
I just think that it might be not until the end, towards the end of the season, you start seeing maybe challenging a yeah. little bit more in that field. But he's definitely capable of it. I would have thought. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then last one for this week, uh, Garrett has said, "Which F two driver are you most excited for?" Uh, Drogovic's return uh, to MP, Theo's second pass, or the unrealistic American driver at Carlin, or maybe even one of the rookies. <laughs> um, well, there's a lot to choose from. It's a stacked old grid in F2 this oh, year. There is Den- a lot going on there. Dennis Hauger is pretty good. Yeah, pretty, I'm very excited. Pretty good. Especially as he's Sorry. landed himself in a uh, prima seat as well. I think he's going to yeah. be. Yeah. He's going to be one to watch for me. He's, for he's sure. looking to hit that back-to-back F3 and F2 titles that not many people yeah. have managed. Um, yeah. I mean, I've said before on here, I like Jack Dewan. Yeah. He's, he's still young. He's still a teenager, literally, So, at least for the time being. So, like, Virtuosi are an all right team to be involved with as well. So I'd hope that he can uh, pick up some good results this year. So my, my eye is always on Jack, I think. And... To speak the 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 American driver as well, um, I am interested to see what Logan Sargent can do. Um, he's yeah. he's probably one of, if not the best hopes for an American driver in F one these days. He's a he's in the Williams Young Driver program as well now, so I'm um, I'm excited to see what he can do. Be very yeah, cool to been, see him up there. Been enjoying him in F three the last couple of years. He's done yeah. it. So, but God, there's so many names on that F two grid. Like that I mean, is a, that is a stacked. I mean, Teo, we've not even mentioned Teo Porter. Yeah, like Teo Cherry, yeah. he's he's legit. He's got the goods. Um, Jander um, Ruvel has been Yuri, getting better and better. Yuri Vips. Yeah, Yuri yeah, Vips. Yeah, I was about I was about to say Yuri, Yuri Yuri Vips was one that about three years ago is like he's yeah. Red Bull's next <laughs> next target. I think you, Yuri Vips is the one that um, Yuki Snow is going to be paying most attention to. Yeah. 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 Him, him and Liam Lawson. Liam Lawson's another one that's in the Red Bull program and on the F2 grid this year. Hmm. So Exciting yeah. stuff. Also, um, Jem Bobowski, um, who is joining the grid this year, a Turkish driver who um, started off as a sim racer and he's made his way from sim racing up yes. to Formula 2, which yeah, is very yeah. cool. So we're interested to see how he gets on as well. Yeah, that's definitely one to watch. I'm really interested to see how that pans out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm cool. hoping as with like now F two and F three are going back to a kind of more normal calendar this year. I'm hoping it's like easier to follow because I had a really hard time following the feeder series last year. Like the way the calendars yeah. worked was just it was difficult. Just, it was really really difficult to keep track of, wasn't it? So I'm looking forward to properly yeah. be able to pay attention to it this year. I didn't see any of it really, and I work there, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. That rounds up everything we've got for this week. Um, if you want to stay in touch with us, now's a good time to do so because things are moving. We've actually started tweeting things again, haven't we, Chris? Once, twice, yeah. <laughs> so, we've broken up. That's that's where that's where the follow at Back of the Grid F1. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as well, just by searching for Back of the Grid. And of course, thanks as always to all our lovely patrons who join us in Discord live each week and contribute towards making the show what it is. If you'd like to find out how to get involved with all that, you can head to patreon.com slash back of the grid. That is it for this week. We will be back, I guess, doing some livery reviews once all those are out. Livery reviews, pre-season predictions, all of that stuff. Yeah, do do some pre-season predictions. 
So probably around a fortnight's time for you all, I would expect. Yeah. But in the meantime, enjoy what you see of liveries <laughs> and the like. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.